What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 259 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Pamela Wagner from hustlelesslivemore.com. Pamela caught my attention when I was scrolling through the forum of my digital nomad group, the Dynamite Circle, and she posted that she was in Nigeria and she was looking for other nomads within our group to maybe go out, have a drink with, socialize, and just get to know. And what caught my attention was that she was really trying to change the whole world's perspective on Africa in general, all the countries and all the different stereotypes and all the places that as Westerners we perceive as dangerous. Well, her mission is to help people understand that Africa is full of beautiful people, beautiful places to see, beautiful cultures, beautiful food, and wanting to really just change that narrative around Africa. So I immediately reached out and said, hey, would you like to come on and talk about it? And she was kind enough to come on board. And it just reminded me of all the other past episodes I've done with really cool, adventurous women who are, for example, Donna Cuthbert, who hitchhiked through Africa, or more recently, Brooke Hilt, who was driving solo through Mexico. When you hear those types of headlines, you might think, oh my God, these people are crazy. What are they doing? Like, why would they choose to subject themselves to these types of scenarios? But if you ever took time to really get to know their stories and why they're doing what they're doing, you realize that they all have these beautiful tales of just kind people, generosity, adventure that's filled with just nothing but cultures who really want to show you the beautiful side of their country, the place they live, their towns, and the people who are in them. And that's what I love about these stories. And Pamela delivered with that. I mean, hearing her adventures through Africa, primarily Nigeria, just got me so inspired to want to go immediately and experience what she talks about. And I hope it does for you as well. So I just want to say thank you for joining us today for this episode. If you're a first-time listener, please hit that subscribe button on whatever you're listening to Misfits and Rejects on. And if you like this episode, the best way you can help Misfits and Rejects and myself grow my audience is by sharing it with somebody you know who might like this type of content as well. That's by far the best and cheapest way for you to help me out. But if you do like Misfits and Rejects and you want to stick around for a while, there's a few other things you can do. You can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt. Or you can also donate to Misfits and Rejects via Patreon. What you would do is head over to patreon.com backslash misfits and rejects, and you can give a monthly donation. Whatever you want, it's all appreciated. I have donors who give $1 a month, $5 a month, $25 a month, and I appreciate all of it. It does really help. And if you just want to give a one-time donation, Patreon doesn't really offer that, but what you could do is donate once and then just cancel your subscription. That helps as well. But I just want to say thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate you. And I have no doubt you'll get a lot from this episode with me and Pamela. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Pamela Wagner from Hustle Less, Live More. Pamela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chapin. It's a pleasure to be here. We're so happy to have you. Can you tell the audience where you're located right now? 
Absolutely. I'm on the beautiful island of Mauritius, which is off the east coast of Africa. And was that like a, just a quick stopover? Is that a location you spend a lot of time in? Well, I'm starting to think that it may become a location that I would want to spend more time in because it's been so beautiful the first couple of days that I've been here. So it's definitely a new country for me, the, the 15th country actually on this continent here. And um, it's, just, it's just gorgeous and nature is amazing. So I'm just looking forward to exploring it all. Yeah. So you just implied that you've been to over 15 different countries in Africa. Is that what I heard? Absolutely. Yes. And that's a huge number. It's a big continent. What inspired you to start traveling in Africa? So I think it started very early on in the north of Africa, because oftentimes we see like the north of Africa and sub-Saharan Africa differently. Now, as a child, it was always my dream to go to Egypt. And thankfully, my parents helped me fulfill that dream more than about 20 years ago. Um, and then we also went to Tunisia. And these were kind of like my two starting points. And as I grew older, I, well, older, like the end of my 20s, I wanted to work abroad. And so I, yeah, applied to more than 50 countries because, I mean, as a, like an 18-year-old, what do you know about the world of working abroad? So I ended up working in Nigeria for about three months at an entrepreneurship project in a university that's actually pretty big. I think it's the biggest one in Nigeria, the Obafemi Abolobo University, and had an incredible time there. And that's kind of where my journey also in the sub-Saharan African part of the continent started. And you know, Nigeria, obviously, for anybody who li listens to the BBC, is a, a huge economy in Africa and, you know, a hub for a lot of um, just things that are bustling in Africa and growing. Was that an interesting aspect to being in Nigeria? Did you want to explore more countries based on just the technologies that were popping up and the entrepreneurship that was around you? So back when I did that in 2010, that wasn't at all on my radar. And... I have never been much of a fan of watching the TV since I kind of reached adulthood. And so how I based it was, or what I based it on was pretty much as I said, I wanted to go to a country where people don't know much about it, which is mostly negatively perceived. Because I couldn't believe in my own naivete that it can't be that bad, right? Like it can't be true that one country is all those bad things. And... So Nigeria also seemed to kind of fit that because what most people know about is bad things. But I mean, music has changed that a little bit in the past years, thankfully. But when I went like 2010, I mean, what, what most people knew about Nigeria is like drug dealers and war and child abuse or whatever. Right. And I thankfully got to see a very different picture of that. This is so cool because this is how I've structured my travels as well. Like I've always said that if there is a country that has a negative stereotype and it's a really bad stereotype like war ridden, well then go to the neighboring country and walk to the border and ask the people crossing the border what they think about it. And I've always found that you find a different story once you get closer to that country. And it's usually of beauty 
kindness and just helpful people wanting to share their culture with you. So is that what you found when you got to Nigeria? Absolutely. I mean, it's Nigerians are some of the most unique people in the world. Nowadays, I could I could almost like guess a Nigerian from a mile away because they're so um, so unique and they stand out for me. Right. And it, I mean, Nigerians are some of the most entrepreneurial people in the world. You can place them anywhere in any country. It doesn't matter. They're going to survive because they're so creative and such hustlers which is just incredible. And one thing that surprised me, which most people actually don't know, is that Nigerian food is among the spiciest in the world. Most people would think that Indian food is spicy or Mexican food is spicy. I'm like, try Nigerian food once and then we'll talk again. <laughs> wow. I mean, I've never, I never, never knew that. That's so interesting. So is it kind of like kind of a curry based style of cooking? How would you describe it? Good question. I think it's stew-based a lot of times, obviously lots of chili, um, soups, so they have quite some soup, stew, rice, rice is a big portion of the diet, and of course meat. So for any Nigerian, or dare I say any sub-Saharan African, a meal is not a meal unless there is meat or fish in it. Okay. And then what kind of chili are they using? Like, you know, in Mexico, we have the habanero and the jalapeno. What kind of chili are they using in, in Nigeria? Oof, Chapin, I have to admit I'm not an expert on that. So <laughs> I really don't know. But it's hot. That's okay. That's all we're oh, yeah. trying to discover. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I found an, an interesting, um, similar to what you described the Nigerian hustle to be like when I was living in Bavaria, Germany, and going to different, like, swap meets trying to sell... Uh, female shoes my my ex-girlfriend's shoes we were trying to just like get rid of them they're pretty high quality and um the nigerians were there with this like shoe hustle where they would buy these shoes for like less than a euro where they would definitely try to negotiate down to less than a euro and then they were sending it back to the various uh stores or uh, family members who had stores in nigeria they had this really interesting sort of import export of shoes going on which i didn't get into detail with them on, but it was really interesting. Yeah, there it it is. It is a good thing and it is a bad thing. So, for example, as far as I know, um, on the other side of the continent in Rwanda, they've actually banned imports of secondhand clothing or cloth donations, so to speak. Because what ended up happening is that they would be imported, but then they pretty much end up with those trash mountains of clothes that nobody would use anymore because you couldn't use them anymore. So it could be a good business case if these are really things that people can use. Um, but I, I've seen both sides of it. As have I. Yeah. I mean, you definitely see, like I was in Nicaragua for a lot of years and just the amount of waste, like people with good intentions coming and then just creating more waste with what they bring. Um, would you say at this point, like Nigeria is like a second home to you? Do you go back often and, and spend as much time as you can there? I definitely don't spend enough time there, I would say. And every single time I go there, I'm reminded of that again. It, it's a hustling and bustling place that improves slowly, step by step, or as the Nigerians tend to say, small, small. So it's just fascinating each time to go back again, to see what's happening to see the progress. So yeah, I try my best. I try my best. So at this point though, like 
you alluded to the love of the food, the love of the people, the love of the culture. Is there one specific thing that makes you feel kind of grounded and at peace there that you can identify? Um, good question. I think it's the socializing aspect with people, especially when you go out at night. For me, I enjoy going out most in like Nigeria or Ghana or Jamaica. Um, those are kind of like my three favorites. Now, if you go to Nigeria, I'm not sure if you necessarily go there with feeling at peace. Um, I think what gives me peace is really the interactions with people and the joy of life that you experience when you are in that, because they're so full of energy and so full of motivation and wanting to do better for their country. Okay. How would you compare Ghana to Nigeria? So Ghana is kind of like the, the little brother, the little calm brother of Nigeria, where if you are not too sure yet about West Africa, you'd start off with Ghana first. Or if you're worried of if you're more of like the scared traveling type, right? So there's also an ongoing like Chalof War. Chalof rice is a big thing. And this Chalof War on Twitter is hilarious. So people fight about which Chalof rice type of dish is better whether it's better in Ghana or in Nigeria. And that's been going on for more than a decade now, pretty much as long as, or even as long as social media exists. So yeah, Ghana is a lot calmer, a lot calmer. That's what I would say. Okay. I love how, I mean, the vernacular you're using with like starter countries, like if you want to go to a starter country, you might go to Nigeria or Ghana. And like, I've always said like a good starter country is like Thailand, you know, where it's literally like they take you by the hand and like show you how easy and friendly it is to navigate Thailand. And from like an American man, like you would, I've never heard people speak about Africa in this specific way, but can now that you have a lot of, you know, countries under your belt, you know, with Nigeria being a starter country, Ghana being a starter country, can you talk us through some countries that, I mean, people would just be like, hell no, I'm never going there that you've been to that you discovered something unique and cool about? In Africa or yeah, in, in Africa, other continents? In Africa. So, okay. So what I meant with starter countries is that like, if you want to explore West Africa in general, if you want to get started with Africa, then it would be more like the typical ones like Kenya, South Africa, Morocco, those countries, oh, okay. right? Mm -hmm. Um. The thing with Nigeria is that it's not necessarily a travel country. It's a business country. There is a lot to discover, but the tourism sector isn't yet as evolved as it could be. So if you want to go to Nigeria, you definitely have to have the right mindset for it. Because if you're more of like the scared person or anxiety person, like don't go there. You're not going to have a good time. Like if you're in Nigeria, you got to be, well, if you go to Nigeria, like a Nigerian, right? You got to have um, confidence. You got to know where you're going. You got to have a certain level of experience with traveling, right? So you can experience a lot of Nigeria, but I think you got to have some experience before going there. Can you talk us through some of those, um, that confidence? I mean, can you give us more details on what that means to be an experienced traveler while navigating Nigeria? Are you talking about like, you know, negotiating with taxi cabs and negotiating prices and markets and stuff like that. What do you mean by that? 
Okay, so I'll give an example of something that I experienced or witnessed in um, in Kenya and Mombasa because it, it hasn't happened to me in Nigeria, but it's going to illustrate the point well. So I was in Mombasa and the next day I was going to go from Mombasa to Arusha by a local bus that costs about, I don't know, like $10 for like a, a journey of like eight, nine hours. And so on that day before that journey, I saw another white girl walking on the streets and you know how sometimes you just see people from the corner of your eye, but then you move on about your own business. And the next morning, she actually got on the same bus as me. So we were the only two white people on that bus. And I overheard her saying how last night she got robbed when she was walking on the street. And well, well, she was carrying her stuff. And I mean, the thing is, one of rule number one is, especially as a woman in the night when it's dark, don't walk in certain areas or countries alone in the night. It's just not safe. Like don't do these things. Talk with locals. If they say there are certain areas where you shouldn't go, well then don't go. Right. Um, taxi drivers, thankfully now you don't have to hassle with taxi drivers anymore because there's Uber and Uber works surprisingly well in Nigeria. So that makes a lot of things easy because I was still in Nigeria back then when we had to take like bikes or you just take the, the taxis or the taxi cars that like gather a lot of people. And then only when the taxi is full, then it starts moving. So a lot of these like hassle opportunities have dissolved because of those innovations, innovations like Uber, Bolt and so on. I see. I see. And quick little side note, you actually started a digital agency um, with Nigeria in mind. We, we talked a little bit about it pre-show, and I'd just kind of like to bring that in the loop real quick. Yeah, sure. So when it came to naming my agency after I left Google, I, I'm not the most creative person with names. And people or my friends from Nigeria had been calling me Miss Ajala, which means the, the traveler pretty much. Because Ajala was a Nigerian traveler who traveled the world by on his bike. And I think he he did that around the 1920s or so. And so I thought, well, I don't want to use my own name. So let me just use Ajala and add digital so that roughly people know that I'm in the digital space. And if I want to change it, then I can always add it later or change it later. So, yeah, it, and it's been the same name now for the last more than seven years. That's cool. And so, yeah, you work specifically with what Google ads and uh, Facebook ads? Yes. So we help companies all over the world grow with Google and Facebook ads. Of course, it also includes like YouTube or Instagram ads. And that's, yeah, it's it's where... What I've learned at Google, obviously it started off with Google ads and then added Facebook later. And it's been fun doing that because of the results we achieve with clients. How many clients do you have in Nigeria? In Nigeria, we don't have any right now. So okay. I don't work in the way that I say, okay, I have to have a client in a certain country. I go more by like, does it feel good to work with that client? And most times clients come to us. So in the end, we're in a position where we can choose clients. Nice. And you're completely 100% remote. So you can be working in Mauritius, Nigeria. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when we're 
So wherever I am, what I usually do is like I host local trainings. So when I was living in Ghana for seven months, I hosted trainings for MTN, which is the largest telco company in Africa and the largest company in Ghana, actually. Um, did a lot of trainings in Uganda as well. Going to do a training here in Mauritius. So, yeah, I'm just trying to add a little bit to to the local community and give back, give back in a business way. Mm-hmm. How are you received as a, you know, entrepreneurial woman in these cultures? Not a problem. It's fairly, fairly easy, but it's always, I've, see, I've learned along my journey that it's all about how you present yourself, how you see yourself and how you see the world. So yeah, I've, I've always had good experiences. Nice. Nice. Talk us a little bit more, take us through a little bit more, uh, hustle less, live more, your new like side, side hustle or side project. Yeah, sure. So over the last years, I would say even decade, I've had the chance to interact with so many high achieving people, go-getters, people that are recognized as successful in the public eye, often very, very public eye. And what I've seen with those people is that oftentimes they may have achieved a lot of material success that sometimes they might not have even expected, but deep down they are unhappy. They have broken relationships or they don't know how to find a partner. Um, They work way too much because they're stuck in this belief that you have to work a lot in order to be successful or simply escape into work in order to not deal with certain trauma aspects. And so last year, I then graduated from my second master's degree in psychology at Harvard. And with that, wanted to add an academic side to that whole story and show people that, look, we already have the research out there that if you just hustle hard, it's rather going to kill you than actually help you. If you, as a man, for example, continuously sleep less than six hours a night, you're going to lose as much testosterone as you'd lose in 10 years of your life. Okay. Interesting. So we have the data out there and I want to make that more accessible to people and help them have more self-awareness around that topic. And then is there like a, obviously working less is healthier for you, but then like for ambitious people, like what's the balance? Like, do you help them kind of see avenues that they can take that will uh, be healthier? Yeah. So I think one also has to make a little bit of a difference in terms of age, right? So in your early twenties or in your twenties in general work, go for it. Right. But don't work. I'm taking most of the consulting companies now as an example, because I know that from friends, like pretty much their firsthand experience is that they sign up for these big consulting companies because they think it's good for their CV, but they just end up selling their life for that company and none of them has ever been happy at the company. So it's really about knowing, okay, what do you want? What is important to you? How do you want to live your life? And what company then fits that? I think the idea of a CV is very much outdated. It can help in the beginning of your career. No doubt about that. No doubt about the fact that a big corporate name like Google helped me. Absolutely. But it's really not everything. Okay. And would you rate your life right now as a life that's well-balanced and that's happy and healthy? Yes, absolutely. Because 
one thing that I try to show people is you can't be a good leader or a good um, manager or CEO of your team if you yourself are not healthy and happy. Because who you are and how you feel is going to be directly reflected in your team, in your clients, in your business status quo. So if you take care of yourself first, it'll automatically give a ripple effect onto everything that you touch and come in contact with every single day. Yeah, of course. Can you give us some examples within your own life that help you stay grounded and balanced? Obviously, you love to travel. You love Africa. It sounds like you really do like your work. Do you have any specific hobbies that you try to do daily, like yoga or something like that? Absolutely. So meditation is a big part, and that has evolved over the years. And I mean, I started with that about 10 years ago, and I've been that kind of child that couldn't sit still for five seconds and needed entertainment. So I've come a long way with that. And other than that, look, I love the just normal stuff like cooking, reading, learning languages, um, doing sports, um, doing new experiences. So, yeah, anything that makes me feel alive and fulfilled. Mm -hmm. How many languages do you have under your belt at this point? I'm fluent in about five. Can you name them for us, please? German, English, Spanish, Russian, and Mandarin. Wow, interesting. Where did you pick up the Russian and Mandarin? I was lucky to have these choices in school. So I went to school in Austria, to a high school in Austria. And there I could choose between either Russian, Italian, or then I think it was science, three years before graduating. And then two years before graduating, I added Mandarin actually did that at another school because they, my high school didn't offer, but they gave me the opportunity to attend that as an extracurricular activity. And I knew fairly early onwards that the earlier I learn a language, the easier I learn it and the longer it stays with me. And I wanted to be able to speak the most important languages in the world or the most commonly spoken languages in the world. I haven't succeeded with Arabic on that one that much yet. But uh, yeah, it, I was, I think I was very lucky to realize that importance of learning languages early on. And I took action on that. You alluded to maybe having like uh, attention deficit disorder or like hyperactivity as a young girl. Was that ever like a diagnosed thing or was it ever a problem as you tried to learn? No, not at all. And I'm very happy that I didn't have to deal with that terminology because I'm very torn and I have, I think, a little bit of a different opinion than most people on this topic. Um, yeah, I was, I was always a reader. I loved reading books. I loved going to the library. I always had a library card. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that it was difficult for me to focus necessarily. I had several interests like any other child, like... I played basketball, I played computer games, I played computer games for way longer than my parents would allow it. So, yeah. Do you mind me asking what your opinion is on it? Just because, you know, I I spent over 20 years trying to learn Spanish and at 41 found out I have an audio processing disorder because it's like it I live in Mexico and I've been here long enough to learn Spanish and it's so hard for me. So, I'd love to hear your thoughts on you know, different aspects of just learning and learning dis disabilities or disorders. Yeah. So I think 
Uh, we always have to look at where does it really come from and where did it emerge? What we do most often these days is that we just give diagnoses and then we say that's how it is now and you just got to live with it or you just got to take these pills. But what I've seen with pretty much everybody that I've engaged on a deeper level on that topic from a psychological perspective is that there are certain origins for different disorders and a lot of like ADHD and so on isn't really ADHD what it is these days is that kids are simply overwhelmed with having to deal with too many devices and so on. So you can simply reduce that effect by removing the devices, being strict on the use of them. Um, I think there's a lot of too much less affair parenting these days, which allows for these things to just become even more prominent. Um, and I think those diagnoses then put people in a box where they live within certain limits that wouldn't be true if they had worked on the causality of these diagnoses, which most people don't do. They just work on the symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. For me, you know, wondering for my whole life why it was so hard for me to understand what my teacher was saying. And, you know, now, you know, having lived in Latin America for over 20 years, and still not having really grasped the language, it was a really huge relief to actually have somebody say like, no, like there's something going on in your brain as you take in these words and sounds and information, like get scrambled. And I mean, I have a little bit of a foundation now of Spanish and I can get what I need done, but it's uh, it was a big relief actually to say like, okay, well now I know there might be something going on. Like I'm not going to give up. I still want to continue to try to learn Spanish and be fluent at it someday, but I have to work around what, kind of things might be going on in my brain. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that's important to know that, but we started to like mainstream these disorders. It's cool to have a disorder. So absolutely. There are people like you have certain dis like uh, disorders. I mean, what we see with people with disorders is also that you then have strengths in other areas of your life. So for example, with people who are dyslexic, they usually tend to be very creative and innovative thinkers right? People who are blind have exceptional hearing and like smelling capacities. Yep. All good examples. Right? Yep. For sure. Yeah. So it, it always gets, um, what's the word compensated Yes. through then having other capabilities. I'm sure that's the same for you. Like you probably smell better or you probably have a better memory of maybe numbers, right? Sure. Yeah, definitely. There's, I think I have strengths that are unique to me because of the things that I was lacking in as I grew up 100%. Um, have you ever been to Gabon, Africa? Uh, Gabon? Gabon, sorry. No, not yet, unfortunately. Is that a place you desire to go? I want to see every single country in Africa, so yes. How many more do you have left? Uh, uh, so it's, it's 54 countries, so 39 I've left. Okay. Okay. And out of the one, have you been to Ethiopia? Yes. A oh, beautiful place. Yeah. Beautiful place. That's like my top on my list of African countries. I want to start with, I have, I've never been to any of them and I'd love to start with Ethiopia. I think that's a great start because Ethiopia is the only country that has never been really colonized. So the Ethiopians have had a very fascinating history of fighting off any kind of colonizers so a lot of their history is still intact, maintained, 
and oh god it's been developing beautiful like what most people for example don't even know there is a tramway in in ethiopia that's fairly new i think was built about seven eight years ago now but yeah go for it love ethiopia and the food oh my god i could go on oh yeah me too i'd love to learn how to cook all with cook with all those spices it's just so so complex um well, this is awesome, Pamela. I have a few more questions before I let you go. If you could describe freedom as a smell, what would it smell like? Oh, it would probably something be along the lines of like vanilla chocolate and some berries. Nice. I like it. If you could describe freedom as a sight, what would it look like? Beach, horizon, looking out on the water, on the ocean. Love it. Love it. With the sunrise, the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get a lot of those in Mauritius. Are you actually on the water? Are you staying in the hills? Like, where are you located? I'm in the hills. Um, and today we've just had a beautiful sunset. Oh, my God. It was amazing. So cool. So then if you could speak to one audience member and give them some confidence to maybe land in a country in Africa, what would you say to them to give them that courage? It's going to be better than you've ever imagined it. And it's so difficult to imagine it because your mind and your brain simply hasn't had any experience with the so many good parts that are here. Beautifully said, Pamela. Thank you for so much for your time. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Awesome, Pamela. Thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. I look forward to meeting you for a beer in Nigeria at some point or wherever you find yourself in the multiple countries you plan on visiting throughout your life and career. And folks, thank you again for joining us. If you love this episode as much as I did, please share it with a friend. That's by far the easiest and cheapest way to support Misfits and Rejects. And if you want to take it a step further and support us financially, you can do that via Patreon, patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects. Any donation is appreciated, or you can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a t-shirt. That helps as well. Thank you so much for joining us. I think you all are so very beautiful, and I'll see you in next week's episode. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it, it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.